Turn with me in your Bibles, if you'd be so kind, to the book of Philippians, in chapter 3. My sermon today is called, Hebron Calls for More. Because it does. Right? Hebron Calls for More. When you move from one season to another, um, that the, the anointing and the grace of God that flows in that season will put a demand on you to do some things that you didn't have to do in the previous season. You understand? There are some things that uh, it's good and it's right to do. Of course, we know. The Bible tells us. I'm not, I'm not talking about sin, but I'm talking about there's a greater level of consecration. There's a greater level of, for lack of a better word, intensity about our faith that's going to be required of us in this season because we're in a new place. You know, every room in your home has a different function, doesn't it? Yes. You know, you don't go into the kitchen and sleep, hopefully, right? Just, oh, look at this kitchen table that's here. This looks comfortable, you know? Oh, look at this granite countertop, you know, and just lay down. That, that would be ridiculous, right? The kitchen has its own purpose, and you go to the bedroom to sleep, right? Well, every, we have moved into a new room as a church. We've moved into a new phase of ministry as a church. And so what that means is we have to get acquainted with this room. We have to get acquainted with this season, uh, and we have to become skillful with what's on the inside of it, amen? And what we should do in order to gain skill in that, right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, are you there? We're going to start in verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. It says this in the King James, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I want to read that to you in the Amplified Classic. It says this, Not that I have now attained this ideal, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, or to grasp and make my own, that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah has laid hold of me and made me his own. Look at this. You were made a part of the family of God for a purpose. You're born for a purpose. There is a reason why, you know, everybody likes to quote that one uh, scripture in the book of Esther where it talks, where Mordecai says to Esther that, you know, she was born for such a time as this. And everybody, oh, we get goosebumps when we think about that. Yes, I was born for such a time as this. But th that's for real. There's a purpose behind your existence. There's a reason why you're here. But notice Paul says here, he says, if that I may apprehend that which I was apprehended for. Meaning just because you're born doesn't mean you will fulfill what you were born for. Just because you are a part of the family of God, you've received Jesus as your Lord, you can, you're a Christian, congratulations. You might even go to church every Sunday. Oh my gosh, wow, gold star. That's great, but that doesn't mean that you're going to fulfill that which, you, what your purpose is, right? We have to intentionally apprehend, do what it takes to apprehend the thing that God has created us for. Well, how many of you know this church was created for a purpose? Amen. God, of course, you know, when, when God uh, plants a candlestick, you know, and he opens up a local church and it's his will and, and, and the pastor yields to the will of God. Of course, we know that part of the plan of God for that local church is that people be fed the word of God, that they get around the moving of the spirit, that they mature into the, the men and women of God that God intends for them to be. 
but there is a, an assignment that God has put on this church. Amen. And so we as a congregation, not just the pastors, but we as the congregation in this season of Hebron really need to be reaching so that we can apprehend that which this church was created for. Yes. How many of you know the assignment and the plan of God, um, it takes more than one person to fulfill it? Yes, that's right. Amen. Jesus had a part to play in the plan of God, but then every person after Jesus also had a part to play. Right? We, each and every single one of us has an assignment. Each and every single one of us has a supply to bring to God's great plan. And so we have to bring it. We have to do what it takes so that we apprehend um, that which we were um, saved for, really. Amen. You know, when an Olympian uh, goes to the Olympics, you know, they, of course, there's a lot of qualifiers and things like that so that they get in. But when they, you know, get into the Olympics and they're going to be competing, right? How many of you know that you'll, what you'll see is, uh, at least on, on TV, what they show is these people will train and train and train and train because they're aiming to get a gold medal. Yes. And sometimes you'll see that some of these people, uh, these athletes who are training are so intense yes that when it comes time to compete and they don't do as well as they wanted to do. Yeah. You know, I remember, I remember seeing one particular person who was competing in the Summer Olympics, I believe it was, and they got like second or third place, and I mean, they were weeping. They were yeah. spitting mad. You know, they were, they were so disappointed in themselves because they did not apprehend what they came to get. They didn't lay hold of that goal, which was the gold medal, and nothing less than the gold medal. Listen, there's a gold standard for us in this season. There are things, you know what Pastor Craig has really been doing over the past several weeks? He has been saying to us by the Spirit the potential of this season. He's letting us know what we can lay hold of. What are some of the things that he said? There's financial increase. Amen. There's increase in transportation. Right? There's a greater sweetness uh, in your family life. There's a fresh anointing. You know, these things that he's been talking about to us, he's is saying by the Spirit what the potential is, what we can lay hold of, really what the gold standard is for this season of Hebron. This is what God has for you in this season. Well, we need to, you know, not just be happy to be here. Can I put it that way? Because just because you're here doesn't mean squat all in the scope of things. You know what I mean? You can be in the right place and not do the right thing in the right place and then not get the right thing in the right place. <laughs> Say that five times fast. You know, uh, you know, we got to be doing the right thing in the right place. Amen. Because we're interested in apprehending. And I'm so grateful that, you know, this isn't like the Olympics where only one person gets the gold. Right. God has made that available to each one of us. So let's all together reach for what God has for us. Amen. Let's go to verse 13 now. It says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. You know, I really, I really love this verse because if anybody had a dark past, it was Paul. Okay. If anybody, you know, had baggage, okay, had some things that maybe they were bringing, you know, with them, it would have been Paul because he wasn't just, you know, you know, not a nice guy. He was a murderer, right? And he didn't just murder anybody in particular. He murdered God's people. Okay. But look at this. He says, this one thing that I do, I don't, he says, I don't consider that I'm exactly at it. I haven't arrived yet. 
Meaning what? There's an attitude of humility. He wrote half the New Testament, but he says, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I haven't apprehended it yet. But this one thing I do, in other words, what is he saying here? This is my key to success. This is the primary thing that I do. Listen, we ought to pay attention to that type of thing. This man was used mightily by God. Okay? He wrote for us the majority of the New Testament. God used him in that. Right? God gave him revelation about who we are in Christ that, you know, and we're still learning and growing from that today. So we ought to pay attention. If he says this one thing I do, right? What is his key to success? He says, I forget those things which are behind. Forgetting your past is a choice. You decide my past does not define me. The things that are in my past, they're not going to propel me into my future. Listen, you cannot move into the thing God has for you in the future if your hands are full of baggage from the past. Oh, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. The blood washed you clean of it. The blood is greater than whatever mistake you've made. Let go of the past. Forget about the past. What about this? We have to not just forget about the bad things of the past. Right? We need to forget about the good things. Not, now let me, let me explain what I'm saying here. I don't mean forget about the good things that God has done for you. Remind yourselves of those things. But I'm really, what I'm talking about here is forget the way of conducting yourself from the past season. Because if you do, and if you bring old methodology into a new season, it won't work for you. There are certain things that are foundational, certain things that we're going to bring with us, but there are other things we have to leave behind. Listen, the Holy Spirit will help us to identify what we should forget and what we should bring with us. Amen? Forgetting those things which are behind. Forget about the past. Forget about your mistakes. Okay? To move into something new, you have to leave behind everything that is old. And then what else? You're not just forgetting the past. I'm not just, oh, well, my past doesn't define me. Oh, well, Brother Taylor, I know that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. So I know that I'm going to leave behind my past and I'm not going to look for it. I'm just going to move forward. That's great. But it's not enough to just keep your eyes forward. You got to move. You got to reach. You got to, there's, there's movement that is required of you. I'm contending for something. Listen, Hebron calls for more. Hebron, there is, there is increase that is assigned to this season that has never been in any other season that we have been in before. There are things in this room, equipment, furnishings in this room that God has for each one of us that we have not yet laid hold of. Reach for it. Forget about what you've known. Forget about the limitations that you've put on yourself because of your upbringing, because of your uh, financial background, because of your intelligence. Forget about those natural limitations and move forward and press into what God has for you in this season. That's right. Amen. This is how we're going to get what God has for us. Amen. Uh, you know, don't let this just be, oh, happy Hebron is just something I said to people for about two weeks at the beginning of 2020 and then forgot about it. No, listen, that's, you know, I, we laugh and whatever, but that's dishonorable. That's dis- when God has spoken to us in the volume that he has spoken to us, you know, and, and has given us revelation and things like that for us to just disregard it and, and just live life as normal. That's, that's disrespectful. God doesn't speak more to people that dishonor what he's already said. Don't expect God to speak to you about your life if you're not going to honor what he's already told you to do. 
Amen. So many people say, why aren't the things I'm, why, you know, why is my life looking the way it is? You know, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, but, but there's basic instruction that they're not following. Why am I not seeing the increase that God has for me? Well, check your obedience. Well, praise the Lord. Nobody liked that, but you know, it's, it's the truth anyways. It's the truth anyways. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Isn't God faithful? I'm so, I'm so, I'm so glad that uh, he's God, right? Um, okay, look at verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is a prize. There are things, there's blessing that God has for each one of us. We got to press for it. We got to reach for it. We got to do what it takes to apprehend. Bible tells us that many are called and few are chosen. Why does it say that? Because only few will do what it takes to apprehend what God has called them for. Don't just be among the called, be among the chosen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So laying hold of what God has for you means you're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to pay attention to what it is that you're doing. What am I doing? How can I come up in my actions? How can I be a greater imitator of God? Amen. What can I do so that I receive what God has for me in this season? God wants to visit us. That's really what he's saying here. You know, Pastor Craig talked about, I'm, okay, for those of you in here that are new, welcome, hello, hi. Um, One of the things that we're talking about today is I'm talking based on the foundation that Pastor Craig has already laid. So if you're interested in finding out more about this season of Hebron, uh, back in November, end of November or beginning of December, I believe it was, he started this series on Hebron. So go back on our live stream and and watch it, okay, because it'll help you to understand kind of where I'm coming from here. Anyway. Moving right along, God wants to visit us, right? Hasn't he said to us, there's, there's a revival that is assigned for this place. There's a move of God that he wants to do in this region that he's been wanting to do for quite some time, but hasn't been able to find anybody who would do what it took to apprehend that move of God, right? You listen, we've said it before, but we'll say it again. If we were doing everything that we needed to do to have a move of God, then we would be having a move of God right now. But we're not. Right? Not, we see God move. We see God do things, but not to the level that it's been prophesied about by our forefathers. We're not seeing that right now, but God has that for us. And if we'll do what it takes to reach for it and lay hold of it, then we'll have it. Right? God wants to visit us. He wants to show us a greater measure of his power, a greater measure of his anointing, his glory, which is his goodness, his presence and his power. He wants to show us him more of himself. Not just corporately, but in our individual lives. Amen. He wants, you know, Pastor Craig has been identifying to us different things that God has for us in this season. But in order to receive what God has for us, we must prepare. Amen. Receiving uh, preparation has to precede receiving. It has to come before. If you want the fullness of what God has, you got to prepare for it. And so this season of Hebron is a season of promotion for us, and we're grateful for it. But it's also a time of greater preparation, isn't it? We have to prepare. Uh, You know, one of the ways that God talks to me is he'll use scenarios in my life that happened, and he'll illustrate some things to me with them. So, you know, in in our house, when we were growing up as kids, um, my sister and I, of course, with... Uh, Sister Lorraine and Brother Wayne over here. Uh, uh, One of the things that we would, yeah, here we go. I heard somebody say, here we go. Uh, One of the things that we would do is, you know, most kids, um, 
looked forward to Saturday, you know, because it was a time to, you know, watch cartoons and, you know, uh, not be at school and not get up early. I don't know what that's like. Um, because on Saturdays in the Morris home, it was cleanup day, right? And so mom was up at the crack of dawn, right, when not even the roosters are awake. They're still, you know, getting some rest, but mom is up, you know, doing, you know, her stuff. And, and so she says, well, if I'm going to be up at the crack of dawn, why not everybody else, right? And so, no, I, no I'm exaggerating there. She let us sleep until about nine, okay, which is not bad. It's not bad, you know. Um, and so we slept until about nine, but then come 9 a.m., you, maybe 8.58, okay? Um, there's, there's a sound that would come from the, uh, the lower level of our home. And it was like, Taylor, right? And she enjoyed doing it. You know, I came home from Bible school after a year of her not seeing me. And she went, Taylor, <laughs> and laughed at herself about it. Because she, anyways, she enjoys it. Um, so anyways, so we would clean on Saturdays, and I mean, talk about deep cleaning. There was a running joke in our house that mom would see dirt on a microscopic level because there was simply, she would say, this house is a filthy mess, and we look around and it's glistening. You know, it's, it's, it's shining from the, from the cleaning job she did, and we're like, mom, there's no dirt here. She said, it's filthy as a pigsty, you know? Um, so we would clean, and of course, there were tasks that were assigned to each of us, but when... That would just be on a regular Saturday, but it would get even worse for us if somebody was coming over. Okay? Like, that, because now, if somebody is coming over, now you got a time limit. <laughs> you got a time constraint. Like, we got to get this house sorted before people come over. Because it's one thing, you know, for, for her to just see, you know, this microscopic dirt that isn't there. You know, but if somebody else sees it... You know, now we're toast, right? So, so cleaning day was extra intense when somebody would come over. And so she would be, so, you know, we'd get up and, you know, we're kind of not really, you know, still a little bit, you know, not conscious. And so we get up and mom would say, you, you need to vacuum the house or you empty the dishwasher. You go dust something. You go be productive. You know, and, and there's a flurry of activity that's happening because somebody is coming, right? Somebody's coming over to the house and we need to prepare for their visit, right? Well, God has told us he wants to visit us. And so God is not just some, your average Joe walking down the street. This is, this is God who wants to visit us with his power. He wants to come into our services in greater measure with a greater anointing, a greater, you know, uh, the flow of miracles. Pastor Craig talked about, I believe it was last Sunday, but one of those ways that God wants to manifest his power is in the recreation of limbs. Oh my gosh, you know, I don't know about you, maybe you have, but I've never seen that. I've never seen a limb get recreated. Now, I've seen, you know, you, you know sometimes ministers will have somebody sit down and then, and then they'll, they'll pull the leg out. But really what that is, that's just the straightening of a limb, you know? It's not so much the recreation of it, right? We haven't seen that, but that's a flow of power. Because it's a flow of power we haven't seen, it requires a flow of preparation we haven't done. Greater power requires greater preparation. And so, you know, when we had a visitor, we needed to prepare. And likewise, God wants to visit us. He is the most important visitor. And so we need to prepare for his arrival. Amen. The arrival of his power and his glory. Amen. We have to prepare. So turn with me in your Bibles now to the book of Psalms. Psalm 78. I want to talk about... Um, 
We refer often to the Israelites when we talk about moving from one season to another um, because the Israelites did a lot of things wrong. You know, they, they were prime examples of what we should not do. And so it's good for, but you know what? It's good for us to look at the example that was set by them because you can find your answer in somebody else's experience. And obviously the people of Israel did not do things right, so we need to make a conscious effort to not do what they did because it was recorded for us so that we would. Amen? If God didn't think it was important enough for it to be recorded, it wouldn't be there and we'd be studying and, you know, something else. Yeah. But there is an example that they set that we should not follow after. And so I want to talk a little bit about that and really what we can learn from them as we embark in this new season. Amen? So Psalm 78 and verse 1, it says this, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Look at that. God's word is worthy of your attention. It's worthy of you paying attention. Amen. That's why it's dishonorable. It's dishonorable to come to church and get distracted. Because God's word is being presented to us. The holy word of God, the life-changing word of God, the essence of God is in his word. And for people to, you know, let, let's, listen, we're going to talk or we're going to talk. Let's be bold. For people to sit in church and be on social media. You know, it's dishonorable to the word of God. Amen. You might think nobody else is seeing you, but God is. Right? It's dishonorable. We want God to talk to us. We want God to, um, to visit us. I, you know, I appreciate that story that Pastor Craig told us of what happened with Pastor Jay Eberly when Jesus walked into his church. And now, now the thing about it is Jesus walked in to his sanctuary and he just started looking at people's notebooks. And he was looking at people and he was watching what they were doing and he didn't say anything. He was looking, looking at the Bible, looking at the notebook, and then he walked out. And he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything to Pastor Jay in that moment. Can you imagine Jesus walking into your service, looking at some people's notebooks and leaving? Y'all, that's, that's, that, maybe, maybe that wouldn't bother you. That's frightening to me, okay? First thing he did after he got out of that service is he said to the Lord, Lord, I saw Jesus in the service and I saw what he was doing. What is it that he was doing? And the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And the Holy Spirit said, Jesus was observing your congregation to see if they are ready for the next thing I have for them. What would Jesus say about the way that you conduct yourself in church? What would Jesus say about the way that you approach the word of God? Right? Anywho, Psalm 78 and uh, verse 1. Once again, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them. What is it talking about here? It's talking about the stories of our forefathers. Right? It's talking about, really, what God is putting his word into parables or stories. Right? The things that we see in the word of God here. The, where um, the... Uh, the principles of the word and faith are illustrated to us in experiences of real people. That's what he's talking about. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. It is good and it is right to share with your family the good things that God has done. 
You ought to share with your children the good things God is doing for you. Amen. Listen, one of the things that I so enjoyed the most about VBS this past, um, was it August? Yes, it was. This past August when we had VBS is, you know, the Holy Spirit had prompted me to do a curriculum along the lines of our forefathers in the faith. And so we taught them about the lives of generals like Amy Semple McPherson and Dr. Dufresne and Brother Hagen and Pastor Nancy and, and Pastor Craig. We talked to them about the hero in their midst, which is their pastor. You know, and so we were telling them stories about their lives. And I, I told them the story of that baby who was deformed and came into a service with Amy Semple McPherson and how God totally healed that baby. I told them the story about how uh, Amy Semple McPherson was with her children in their car and they were driving to a set of meetings that they were going to have and they got a flat tire and there, at the time there were no mechanics everywhere you couldn't just uber the rest of the way right uh, and so uh, she said well we have no one there's no one here to help us and we don't know what to do so she so she with her children laid her hands on her on that flat tire and instantly it regained air the miracle working power of God. You know, we I told them about the time when Dr. Dufresne uh, fell off the roof of, of, the build, of the church building he was working on. And when he did, he heard his back snap and it broke. And he knew his back was broken and he couldn't move. And uh, when, when he did that, he, he had been meditating on the word of healing. And so, he's, and so everybody you know, around him saw him fall off the roof. And they're like, oh my gosh, Ed, you know, we need to get you to a doctor. This is not looking good. Because you know, they heard that snap too. And that, when you hear things snap, that's not a good thing. Right? And so uh, he said, no, I'm fine. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. And he started to move. And when he moved, the power of God hit him. And he got up and he was totally healed. But I told them the story of Brother Hagen and how he was on the bed of sickness and how God restored him, how he went to hell three times. You know, I, I told them these stories and I noticed that when we were telling them these stories about the goodness of God and the power of God, um, the kids, of course, you know, they're so sweet and they're so innocent, but they would go, oh, you know, and, and gasp and, oh my gosh, that's so cool. You know, and the, the, from the little ones to the bigger ones, they would all have the same reaction. And I noticed that when they would react like that, the anointing would come into the room. The presence of God would come in. And I, and I said, Lord, you know, I, I sense you here. What, you know, what? He said, I'm pleased with the reaction. I'm pleased that you're sharing with my babies these stories. You, you could, and uh, you know, some of our leaders came up to us in, at, at the end of VBS and said, you know, you could really sense God's pleasure with what was happening. Listen, God is pleased when we talk about the things that he has done. Amen. So uh, talk about that with your children. Listen, I'm, you know, you want to do the whole superhero thing and, and get your kids, you know, with the, the Spider-Man, Batman, nothing wrong with that if, if you want, but talk to them about the heroes of faith. Talk to them about people that have real power, not just fake movie Hollywood power. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, let's go down to verse 6 now. Uh, so we're, we're not hiding the stories from our children that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And look at this, verse 8, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Yikes. Folks, these are not the words of man. These are the words of God about a people. He called them stubborn and rebellious. 
A stubborn and rebellious generation. Why were they stubborn and rebellious? They were a generation that set not their hearts aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. There's a note in my Bible on that, word, on that phrase, set not their heart aright, and it says, that prepared not their heart. So look at this. Why did the people of Israel, why were they a stubborn and rebellious generation? They did not prepare. God had something for them, and they did not prepare for it. And because they did not prepare for it, they did not move into it. Amen? A stubborn and rebellious generation. You know, when I read that, I think of uh, that scripture uh, that says that the willing and obedient shall inherit the good of the land. Wouldn't you say that this, the way that the Israelites are being described, is the polar opposite of willing and obedient? Because if you're not willing, you're stubborn. And if you're not obedient, you're rebellious. So the willing and obedient will inherit the good of the land, but the stubborn and rebellious will never see it. They couldn't get in because they had wrong thinking, wrong attitude. Amen? Let's go down now to verse 40. It says this, How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Again, not something you want said about you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that God could say. What you don't want to, him to say is, man, they were so often a bother to me. They, were, they so often provoked me and grieved me. Look at verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. That word limited is... Um, it, it means they grieve the Holy One of Israel, but we could really say this, to be stubborn and rebellious or disobedient limits God's ability to bless you and that displeases Him. Amen? A lack of remembering what God does for you and in the lives of others before you, it limits Him. Amen? Verse 42, they remembered not His hand, nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy, how He had wrought His signs in Egypt and His wonders in the fields of Zoan. Wow. So, needless to say, we, I don't think we have to go into it anymore, but uh, the people of Israel, they didn't do everything right. And because they repeatedly were, did things wrong, you know, and cried about it afterwards when they knew they had displeased God, but they, there was a pattern of misbehavior um, that happened with them, and so they never saw what God had for them. What a shame. What a shame that God planned something for them to move into right away. There was an entire generation of people that did not see the blessing of the Lord. And they came out of a place of suffering and went into another place of suffering. Yeah, right. When God had more for them. What a shame. Let it not be said of us that we have come out of one season and things in our lives stay the same. Let it not be said of us that we come from Ziklag and nothing is different about our lives. When there is an anointing and a divine equipment for us to move into greater. Amen? That's dishonorable. Well, praise the Lord. Go with me now to the book of Numbers. I'm laying a foundation right now, but I, we're going to talk about some things about the people of Israel and what we can learn from them. Numbers 14, please. We're going to start in verse 22. Numbers 14, 22. It says, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have, hearkened, and have not hearkened to my voice. Look at this. We see that word tempted again. 
right? And he goes into more detail. They saw God's power in action. What does that mean? It is possible. Oh, some people would say, oh, well, if I saw God do that, of course I would believe him. No, they saw God show up for them. The power of God backed them up every step of the way. They saw the greatness, the incomparableness of God's power and how every foe they stood against, God's power was greater than and absolutely annihilated for them. They saw that and they still could not have faith. They were still stubborn and rebellious. Right? It's not seeing God move that is going to uh, inspire faith in you. Right? You got to make a decision to do it when you don't see. Amen. Verse, uh, so where were you? Verse 23. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me. Again, that word provoked. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Wow. So, it's not just being in the right place that qualifies you to receive the thing that God has for you. All of those people, all of the people of Israel were or submitted to the ministry of Moses. You know, well, not submitted in their hearts per se, because they were rebellious and complained a lot. But... Nevertheless, Moses was designated authority over yeah. them, right? They came out of Egypt. And listen, they came out, can, they came out of Egypt with wealth, okay? They were loaded. They had gold. They had jewels. They had riches. They did not come out like you see in the Prince of Egypt, you know, where the old people are moving on their cane there, and then, and then somebody has to go and help grandma because she's following, you know, and they, they, all they have to their name is a wooden wagon, you know, just moving along. Th- that was not how it looked, okay? There was a triumphant exit out of that place, okay? But I want you to know this. Um, if we don't develop the right... Uh, mentalities about things. See, here's the deal. The reason why God kept the people out of Israel, some people might say, oh, well, why couldn't God be merciful to them? You know, he wanted, he wanted to bless them, obviously, otherwise he wouldn't have planned it. Why didn't he just let them in knowing, you know, that they had done all those things and forgive? Isn't he a merciful God? Well, here's the deal. If God moves us into things that we have not developed the character to handle, we will mishandle those things. Yes. And instead of leading to our increase, they will lead to our destruction. Yes. So if the people of Israel had moved into that increase that was assigned to them in the promised land, what would have happened is it would have destroyed them. So God's mercy kept them out because he knew they couldn't handle it. Right? Look at this. They came out loaded. They came out with gold and jewels. And what was the first thing they did? They melted them down and made a cow and they worshipped it. They couldn't handle a land flowing with milk and honey. They couldn't handle, you know, houses that were fit for giants to live in. They couldn't even, you know, God blessed them on their way out and they worshipped a cow. They couldn't handle, they didn't have the character to handle the blessing of the Lord. You know what this season of Hebron is for us? A season to develop character so that we can handle the great riches of the anointing. It takes character to handle the anointing. Not just a calling. Oh, well, you know, God called me to the ministry. God has a plan for my life. That's great. Develop character and then God will trust you with more. Amen. Praise the, praise the Lord. Excuse me. So we have to 
uh, it, we have to not just be in the right place. We have to do the right thing in the right place. Amen? It's by doing the right thing in the right place that we eat the good of the land. Obviously, the people of Israel had um, established habits of complaining, of rebelling. Every time they were given an instruction by God, now we don't want to do that. You know, every time Moses made a decision about his own personal life, oh, he shouldn't do that. You know, every, literally every time, okay? There was just constant rebellion. And as a result, they couldn't move into what God had for them. Let it not be said of us that we are a stubborn and rebellious generation. Let it not be said of us that God could not move us into what he has. Because we didn't do the right thing. Amen? So I want to talk today about three things that we are going to need to develop and become skillful with. If we are to receive all that God has for us in this season of Hebron, but also in the season of Jerusalem that is to come. Amen. Really, these are three things to put in place so that you can flow in revival. If I could put it that way. All right. Hebron calls for more. So Hebron calls for a different way of acting. It calls for a higher way of thinking, a higher way of speaking. Amen. So let's talk about those, these three things that we must do in Hebron so that we qualify for Jerusalem. Okay, number one, and this is a big one, and this is one that nobody likes to talk about, but we're going to talk about it today, all right? Number one, submit to authority. Submit to authority. If we are going to have revival, we have to learn to submit to authority. And let me tell you something. There are some of us in here that are, you know, naturally more submissive than others, and you know that's great, Um, but every single person has to train themselves how to submit to the people that are over them. No one is exempt from that. Who do we submit to? Of course we submit to God. Of course we do. Um, When he gives us instruction, it's not a matter of, well, God, I'm not too, too sure about that. It's a matter of, do what he said. Right? Who else do we submit to? The people that God has delegated authority over us. Who Who is that? Primarily your pastor. Amen? But that also includes spiritual leaders. You know, people, people in the body of Christ that the pastor brings in to help and to assist and to teach and, and preach and impart to you. Those are people we need to submit to. But what about, what about this? Uh-oh. What about your spouse? Uh-oh. Don't talk about that, Brother Taylor. What about um, natural people like your employer? Oh, well, you don't know my boss. Well, I'm pretty sure the Bible says obey those that are over you and submit to them, does it not? Yes, it's talking specifically about those that have spiritual oversight over you. But if you cannot submit to somebody you can see, you'll never submit to the God that you cannot. Amen? So, uh, what about this? Uh, People that have been given authority over you in the church, like uh, like a department head. Uh Uh-oh, now don't talk about that, Brother Taylor. I'll find, I'll submit to the pastor, I'll submit, you know, to God. But don't talk to me about the people in this church. If we're going to have revival, we got to sort this out, folks. We got to sort this out. That thing that is in your nature that wants to fight when you're given an instruction, you got to you got to deal with that. You got to tame that. If anybody that did anything great for God um, developed an attitude, a habit of submission. Amen. If we look at the lives of the people of Israel, one of the things that marks them is that they would not submit. 
okay? Every time Moses told them to do something, every time Moses heard from God and gave an instruction to them, they're like, uh -uh, no, I don't think so. Complain, complain, complain. And then as a result of their complaining, they opened the door to the devil and the devil would come and loss would come as a result and they'd go, ah! and then apologize for it afterwards. But they never corrected that wrong habit that they had of not submitting. Just because you're sorry about it after because bad things happen doesn't mean that you corrected the thing, the root of the issue. And the root of the issue was they would not submit to the one that had been given authority over them. That means that uh, you know, when an instruction comes to you from someone who has authority over you, you're not going to uh, buck against it. You're gonna agree. Whether you feel it or not. Let me tell you something, folks. Agreement is not a feeling. Agreement is a choice. I don't have to feel like I agree to agree. Well, praise the Lord. Submission is the attitude of greatness in the kingdom of God. People that say things like, well, I'm entitled to my opinion, never move forward in what God has for them. You're entitled to your opinion, but you're also entitled to stay out of the blessing of God. Uh-oh. Oh, see, I felt that. I felt y'all didn't like that. That's okay. It's the truth, and you need to hear it, right? When you sacrifice submission for the sake of maintaining your opinion, what you have done is you have sacrificed your birthright for a bowl of lentils. You have chosen lesser instead of moving with greater. Submit to authority. Amen? You need to learn to lay aside your opinion. And, and this is, listen, I'm preaching to myself here too, folks. We have to lay aside our opinions. We have to lay aside our ambitions. We have to lay aside our dreams, our pride, and fully, wholeheartedly submit to the people that God has placed in our lives. Yes. What about this? Uh, teenagers, submit to your parents. Yes. Oh, well, you don't understand what they're like, and they don't understand me as a person, and I just feel like my individuality is being, I'm not being allowed to express that. Don't get me started on that, y'all. Do not get me started because I won't stop, okay? When, it, when your parent gives you an instruction, listen, your parent is God's representative to you. I, I would like to think that if Jesus were to walk into your bedroom and give you an instruction that you would not grumble under your breath and, and tell your mom or your dad where to go. I'm busy, you know? No, you're a fool is what you are. That's foolishness. Think you're so cool and whatever now. Listen, it's not cool to be out of the plan of God because you didn't develop obedience. Okay, we're submitting to um, our, the people that God has put in our lives. Amen. Which and that means that if you listen, submission is never tested when you actually agree. Oh, yes, I love when the pastor preaches about revival. I love when he talks about the anointing. I love when he talks about the authority of the believer, you know, and, and, and different things like that. That's great. That's fine and dandy. But your submission is tested when you don't agree. Oh, well, let's say you're in a department. Okay, you're serving in a ministry of helps. Listen, we're getting real today, okay? Because Hebron requires us to be real. Calls for more. Um, let's say you're serving in a department and, and an instruction comes from the top in this department. Oh, well, don't you know, that's not my personality to do it that way. So I'm just going to do it the way I do it because I'm anointed to do it this way. You know what? It's those kind of attitudes that keep us out of God's best. 
A lack of submission produces a lack of promotion. It's not somebody else that's keeping you from being promoted. It's your lack of submission that is keeping you from being promoted. Oh, well, I'm not moving anywhere. I'm not doing anything. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. Notice it says he will exalt you. I would rather God exalt me than man. Amen. There's a story of a, of a, a lady that was in a, a pastor that we know as church. And uh, she served faithfully for years and years and years, many, many years in the nursery department of that church. And she wasn't, she wasn't a department head. She wasn't a leader. She was just content to be a helper. And so all the time she was serving in this department of the nursery. And then uh, she, as she got older, you know, she went home to be with the Lord. And uh, I don't remember if it was the minister or if it was a congregation member had an experience where they were taken to heaven. And in this experience, God was leading them through heaven. And they saw uh, this woman was there in heaven. But in heaven, she was not just the simple little nursery worker. In heaven, she had been given authority over a region of places and God had promoted her in heaven to handle all of those things. Why? Because she developed an attitude of submission. Listen folks, it is not the people that are well known or popular on the earth that are going to be well known and popular in heaven. It's the ones who were faithful. It's the ones who submitted. It's the ones who said, even though my flesh does not agree, I do. I submit. Amen. You have to, rec- in order to submit to somebody, you have to recognize they have authority and you don't. Yes. Yes. Amen? Amen. Yes. Well, praise the Lord. You know, when a queen knights, when the queen of England knights somebody, right? You know, somebody's receiving that honor. What happens is that person goes and there's a little ceremony in Buckingham Palace for them. And what they do is they go and they kneel down before the queen and the queen takes her scepter or whatever and, uh, you know, knights them, you know, put, putting the you know, thing on either side of their shoulders, right? And as a result, that person steps into a higher place of honor and esteem, right? They get, you know, a knighthood, you know? Now it's a big deal. It's a big deal in the the UK, you know, for those people. And uh, when that happens, I want you to notice this. In order to step into that place of power, they first had to recognize the greater authority in their midst. If you want to step into a greater place of authority, you need to recognize authority first. You want to step into more? You want to be promoted? Oh, I want to be in leadership. Listen, recognize. You've got to submit. Many, listen, God has leadership for many people, but the problem is they don't get low enough to receive it. You've got to get low to receive. Put aside all of your wants, all of your desires, all of your feelings, and submit. Amen. Now, can I tell you all a story? And uh, this is fresh off the press. This just recently happened, okay? Now, unfortunately, I don't have any stories about you all missing it. I only have stories about me missing it. So I can only tell stories about me. Um, but th- this, there's an important thing that I, I want to communicate to you all. So I'm, it's not, I mean, in the scope of things, is it that big a deal? No. But God dealt with me about something. And I believe if you'll listen, it'll help you. Okay. Um, so... The other day, actually this happened last, this past week, when we came back from the uh, break. Uh, on Thursday, um, we, uh, we were in the office, you know, doing our thing and, you know, catching up on 
you know, <laughs> we weren't really catching up because we had done some work sure. on the break, but that's okay. okay. Uh, we were doing some things and getting some things sorted, you know, for the year. And uh, Pastor Craig had come into the office on that Thursday because he was getting some things done with the financial people. And so uh, he gave me a call about uh, midday or so. And he said, hey, Taylor, I'm wondering if you could do me a favor. I'm going to be coming into the church to get something done with Mr. Errol and Miss Rosita. Uh, and I haven't had the opportunity to get myself lunch. And he said, uh, Taylor, I'm fixing to have some samosas. And so he said, I want you to go to this place. And I want you to get the samosas for me. And I said on the phone to him, I said, Pastor, are you sure that place has samosas? Because I'm very familiar with this place. You know, I, I go there a lot. And uh, I've never seen it on the menu. I said, are you sure that place has samosas? He says, yes. He said, Brother Taylor, you know, those samosas that we get that we know and love, this is where they come from. And I knew for a fact that it wasn't, okay? <laughs> I, I did. I knew that it wasn't because, you know, you know, Brother Happy, you know, out of the kindness and generosity of his heart will bring the staff samosas sometimes. And I know where he gets them. So I'm like... I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think you get the samosas from there. Anyways, he said, I'm going to be at the church in 10 minutes. He says, when I come into the church, if you would just uh, leave those for me on the green room table, then I will, um, you know, partake and then go do what I need to do because I have another appointment right after. And so I said, okay, okay, sir, no problem. And so I hang up the phone and I'm thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure that place that he's talking about doesn't have samosas. And so I go around and I start asking the staff, right? Because this, listen, this, I'm not blaming anybody. This is my fault, okay? And so I go to the staff. I say, some of them, I say, you know, does this place that you know of have any samosas? And they're like, no, they don't have samosas there. I'm like, yeah, you know, I think that's right. I'm pretty sure there's no samosas there. I think he's getting it mixed up with another place. So I said, now, this place that he asked me to go to was about three minutes away from the church, but this other place that I knew had samosas was 11 minutes away. Remember, he told me he was going to be in the church in 10 minutes. And so I said, you know what? I think he's mistaken. I'm going to go to this other place that's further away because I want to make sure I get him the samosas. See, look at this. I'm, I'm disguising my lack of submission with, oh, I'm just being a good help. Yeah, that's so good. Anyways, uh, so <laughs> stupid. It was stupid. So I, so I go, I say, uh, I told the staff, you know, I think I'm being so gallant and valiant and whatever. I say, oh, tell Pastor Craig I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be a little bit later because I'm going to go to this other place where I know that they have the samosas. And so I go and I drive to this place and I'm in my car driving, you know, praying in the Holy Ghost, thinking I'm such a great, you know, helper to my pastor because I'm getting what he actually wants instead of, you know, whatever. So I get out and I go to this, I go to this place and I step up to the counter and remember, it took 11 minutes to get there and he was going to be at the church in 10. And so I get a phone call and he said, Brother Taylor. See, the tone is not as friendly anymore. Brother Taylor. And I knew, I knew right away. I knew right, I knew right away. And I went, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, he said, you didn't go to the place I told you to go to get the samosas. And I said, sir, are you sure they had samosas there? You know, and there's a quiver in my voice and I'm just, I'm, af I'm afraid. Okay, I'm afraid. Um, and, and I said, sir, are you sure there's samosas there? He said, yes, Brother Taylor. 
I'm sure there are samosas there. I go there regularly to get samosas. I would know if there are samosas there. And I said, and immediately, I, listen, I knew I missed it, and I, I, I certainly was not about to argue, so I was just apologizing profusely. I don't remember anything else he said on the phone, because I was just, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, sir, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And so he said, I remember this part. He said, how much longer am I going to have to wait for the food? He says, because now I'm going to be late for my next appointment. Yes. And I said, I, I said, I'm leaving right now, okay? And so I didn't even order the samosas from that place. I got in my car and I booked it. And I'm on the phone. Don't report me for being on the phone while I'm driving, okay? I'm on the phone and I called this other place that he said. And I said, do you have samosas there? They said, oh yes, of course. You know, just twist the knife a little bit. And so I said, reserve three of them for me. I'll be there in two minutes. And so I don't remember red lights. I don't remember anything. I gunned it to that place. Uh, thank God, God, God is so merciful. I said, Lord, I need your help here. I said, I need green lights. The man of God is going to be late because of me. And so I got to the place and there was no line and I got the samosas and I left. But as I was in the car, this is why I'm telling you this story. As I was in the car, I, I knew that I had missed God. And of course I had apologized profusely to pastor. And so then I started talking to the Lord because I could feel his displeasure with me. And that's, if, if you've ever felt that, that's not a good feeling. But I could feel he was displeased with me. And I said, Lord, I've, I've not just sinned against my pastor. I've sinned against you. And so I repent for that. And he spoke to me. And he said, Taylor, the issue was not that you went to a different place to get samosas. He said, the issue was not, uh, let me, I want to say it the way that he said it. He said, the issue was not that you went to a different place to get samosas. He said, the issue is not even that you are making your pastor late for his next appointment. He said, the issue that, and your sin here is that you thought you knew better. And I, and I went, oh, you know, the, oh, that stung. He said, you thought you knew better. He said, you decided that what you knew was greater than what he knew. And you did not submit. <laughs> Submission means acknowledging that what I know is not greater than what the person over me knows. Submission is saying, I put aside what I know and what I think. And I submit, I follow after the one who is over me. Whether it's God, whether it's the pastor, whether it's a department head, whether it's your employer, whether it's your spouse, whatever the case is. Whether it's your parent. I submit because I do not know better. Let it be said of us that in this season of Hebron, our motto becomes, I do not know better. I do not know better. I, yes, I may have experience, but listen, experience does not entitle you to an opinion. Just because you've been doing this ministry of health for 396 years and you've been saved for 562 does not mean that you're entitled to an opinion. Put aside your opinion. Listen, this, this type of thing that I'm talking about is the attitude of maturity. Even Jesus had to submit to someone else. He submitted to God, but didn't he also submit to John the Baptist's ministry? And he's Jesus, you know? Surely if Jesus has to submit to somebody, we all do too. Amen? I do not know better. Say that with me. I do not know better. Say it again. I do not know better. Say it like you mean it. I do not know better. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. 
The longer you think you know better than the person who is over you, the longer you will remain unready for the next thing God has for you. Uh, listen, I'm so glad that God dealt with me about that because really he outlined a root issue that I was dealing with. And you know what? We got to get to a place where we are humble enough to receive correction when it comes. Instead of fighting it. Instead of, you know? We got to receive correction when it comes. Correction is a flow of love. Thank God that God loved me enough to tell me that I was stupid. You know, that I was being dumb. You know, I'm so appreciative of that. Because that would have caused trouble for me if I hadn't dealt with it. Down the road. Amen? Praise God. I so I love I love sermons like this because it steps all over your toes and sure they end up a little bruised, but you bandage them up and you keep walking, right? Well, praise the Lord. A lack of submission to authority originates from a lack of humility. Right? If you won't submit, it's because you're full of pride. And if you're full of pride, you are full of the attribute of God's greatest enemy. The Bible tells us it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. You know that one, of the, that one of the definitions of that word resist is that he arms himself for battle against. So God arms himself for battle against the proud. But he gives grace, power, ability, anointing, blessing to the humble. You want more power in your life? Get low enough to receive it. Amen? To refuse to submit yourself to authority is to excuse yourself from leadership. You hear that, leaders? People, people on the leadership team, I want to say that again for y'all. To refuse to submit yourself to authority is to excuse yourself from leadership. It's to excuse yourself from the place that God has for you. Listen, uh, can I tell you something as, as somebody, I know about the workings of the church a little bit and what's to come. Change is coming. Okay? Change is coming to some of the ministry of helps and some of the ways that we do things here. And it matters that you have an attitude of submission. Submission will say, Pastor, wherever you want me is where I'll be. And if you don't want me to lead this department anymore, so be it. I'll find somewhere else where I can bring my supply. Instead of fighting and, oh, I, I want this, I want this. Oh, well, don't you know it's mine? Oh, don't you know I've been doing this for thousands of years? It doesn't matter about that. It's what is God doing right now? And if God has you somewhere else right now, so be it. Submit to it. The journey is so much easier if we'll learn to submit, right? Because it gets difficult when we don't. Because then we get caught up in our feelings, and uh, feelings don't always feel good. Well, praise the Lord. Aren't you grateful for this season of Hebron and this opportunity that we have to show ourselves submissive? Praise the Lord. So number one, we need to submit to authority. I have to go a little bit quicker on these other ones. I spent a lot of time on that. Okay, submit to authority. Praise the Lord. It matters that, it ma I, I really want you to get this. I really want you to understand my heart here. You, you understand, I'm not trying to say that we all need to become a bunch of doormats. That's not why I let people walk all over us. But I am saying we need to develop a mentality of submitting. Amen? That, and that means recognizing somebody's authority. Listen, submitting to somebody can be as easy as just um, referring to somebody as sir and ma'am. Yes. It's developing an attitude of submission. Amen. It's developing an attitude of I'm not, I'm not greater than them. Okay. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. I don't think I'll say that. Anyways, God has more for us. 
but we have to get low enough to receive the more he has for us. Amen. We must learn to submit to authority. Hallelujah. Number two. Number two is this. We have to, in this season of Hebron, protect our faith life. Protect your faith life. What are the two ways that we protect our faith life? Number one, we guard our thoughts. And number two, we guard our words. Let me tell you, one of the main ways that the people of Israel provoked God, it was because of their words. It's because of their complaining. It's because... Well, you know, it stemmed from a lack of submission, but they vocalized their lack of submission. When Moses married an Ethiopian woman, they had an opinion about it. And they started to complain. You know, when they were, uh, they were tired of walking around in the wilderness. Oh, I'm so tired. You know, and they didn't just, they didn't just say, oh, I'm so tired. They said, I wish we could go back yes. yeah. to Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. How dishonorable is that? God demonstrated his power. His, his love for the people of Israel was so evident in the way that he showed himself great for them upon their exodus from Egypt. And what did they do? Slapped him in the face. They slapped that hand away. They said, God, forget you and all of the things you've done for us. We want to go back to the place where we were in bondage. We want to go back to belonging to somebody else. We want to go back to having nothing. We want to go back to being abused. What an affront to God. Dishonor. They complained about everything. You know, it's hard to feel sorry for, you know, people like that because every single time they did it, they opened the door to the devil and lost came. Three million left Egypt, but three, they didn't stay three million, you know. Anyways, um, protect your faith life. What should they have done? They should have guarded their thoughts and they should have guarded their words. Now, here's the deal. The people of Israel do not have it e as easy as we do. Because they did not have the equipment that we have. That's right. They did not have the written word of God. They had Moses come and tell them what God said. And, and, you know, Aaron and other people who were in leadership who knew God, they would come and tell them the words of God. But they didn't have the written word. We have the written word. We have the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us. Are you kidding me? A member of the Godhead lives on the inside of you. It should be easy for us to guard our thoughts. It should be easy for, for us to say the right things. Amen? Amen? How do we protect our thought life from wrong thoughts? Well, we answer wrong thoughts with right words. Amen? You cannot outthink thoughts. Okay? If you're dealing with something, you know, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's depression, maybe it's offense, you know, whatever the case may be. And those thoughts, sometimes it can feel like they're just bombarding you. They're just, you know, you know, and it's from all sides, they're coming at you. You know, it can feel like that. Answer those things. Instead of just sitting and allowing yourself to be the devil's punching bag, you know, answer those things. You've been given authority. It, ought, it, it probably looks so ridiculous to the devil. You know, seeing Christians and seeing how we have been quickened with Christ and raised up with him and we're seated in heavenly places and how he sees that in our spirit man is the life and the nature of God. And then for him to come around with a simple thought and totally throw us off course and, and you know, then we're done. You know, it ought, you know he, even he probably thinks it's ridiculous. Amen. You know, you got to shake his head like, oh, here, the, oh, they're crying again. Yes. You know, like we got we to learn to deal with things in the spirit. Amen? Use our authority. We answer wrong thoughts with the word of God when they come. 
And then when wrong thoughts come, do not vocalize those wrong thoughts. Do not say what you're thinking. That's the problem. So many of us don't have a filter. You just, whatever comes into our mind, we just spew it out, you know? Then we have to repent about it afterwards. In Hebron, develop a filter, okay? You know, but listen, if we fill ourselves with the word of God, the word of God will filter us. It will cleanse us of all of that stuff. Wrong confession produces wrong fruit. And if you are going to have all that God has for you, you need to hold fast to your profession of faith about the things that have been spoken. What does that mean? Instead of talking about how I don't have enough for anything in my life, I'm going to talk about Hebron holds increase for me. God has laid aside and assigned financial increase for me. Instead of talking about I'm always going to be renting, I'm never going to have my own, I'm not going to picture myself in that. Talk about God wants me to own. God is going to bring me into that. It does, you know, and listen, don't put a timeline on it. Don't look at yourself as a failure if it all doesn't happen for you in this year. Hebron is a season. It's not a year. It's a season. Okay, so we have time to develop our faith. We have time to feed on the word of God, feed on the promises of God for us. Amen. Amen. The words that Pastor Craig has spoken to us that God said about this year, those are the words of God. Meditate on them. Fill your mind with them. Think about a fresh anointing is coming on me. Think about my marriage and my family life is getting sweeter this year. Even if it's already good. Listen, being comfortable is the enemy of progress. You might be in here and say, you know what, Reverend Taylor, I have a good life right now. That's great. God has better. God has better for you. Don't get settled. Don't get comfortable. Don't get lax with your faith. Reach for the more that God has for you. Oh, Reverend Taylor, I've been living in the same house for 65 million years, you know, and uh, I'm happy there. That's great. God has more for you. He has more for you. He has increase for you. He has things that he wants you to do. He's got an anointing to help you to increase. It's not even like you're going to have to do it on your own here, folks. There's an anointing that has been released in this season to help you. God's assigned that anointing for this season in particular. Amen. Fill yourself with that. Get that big on the inside of you. Instead of getting fear, your fears big on the inside of you. Oh, I'm so afraid. I, I don't think my children are going to serve God. Well, then it will be according to you as you've said it. Okay? Fear is the opposite of faith. And fear, let, let me say this. Faith creates an atmosphere for God's manifestation in your life. But fear creates an atmosphere for the devil to manifest himself in your life. The devil works in an atmosphere of fear. You know, we've all heard that story about... Um, Brother Copeland's granddaughter, you know, where uh, she had meningitis, I believe it was, and uh, it was around Christmas time, and she was in the hospital, and we know that Brother Copeland went by the unction of the Spirit, and he pointed to uh, her, her body, and he said, I speak to the anointing that is on the inside of her, body, her spirit right now, and I command it to flow out into her body. And in that moment, she was healed of the meningitis, right? We know that story and we know that portion, but there is another part of that story that isn't as talked about that many people don't know. And that is this. Brother Copeland's granddaughter was Miss Kelly Copeland's daughter. And when, uh, you know, it, you can only imagine, those of you in here that are parents will know, seeing your, your little baby with all of those tubes on them and, and you know, in the hospital bed, that's something that can... Uh, shake you. It can shake yeah. you, right? It can, you know, it's something that's not uh, easy to watch. 
And so Miss Kelly Copeland was in the, uh, in the hospital and she was looking at her baby. And then she, the doctor was talking to her and telling her, diagnosing her and telling her exactly what was wrong. And basically that, you know, she had meningitis. And she said in that moment she was totally numb. And the doctor is talking to her, but she just sort of walked out into the hallway. You know, she just, because she's so, you know, out of it because of this thing. And she said she could feel fear grip her. And it was like it had her, you know, tight, tightly like this. She felt like she couldn't move. And she said all of the word that was in me on healing, all of the word on deliverance, she said, it felt like it couldn't come out because that fear had such a tight grip on me. She said, I, she said, I know the word. I've been meditating on the word. But in that moment, I could not speak it. I could not speak what I know because that fear had me. It was gripping me. And she went outside and her sister, Miss, uh, Pastor Terry Copeland Pearsons, uh, she uh, went outside with her, you know, and she turned, she was walking this way and Miss Terry was coming up behind her and she turned around and Pastor Terry testified about this later. She said, it looked like fire shot out of her eyes when she said this to me. But she said, I refuse to fear. Like that. And she said, and when I said, I refuse to fear, she said, it felt like that fear that had so tightly gripped me just fell right off. Like it wasn't as strong as I thought it was. And immediately... After that fear had let go, all of the word on healing and deliverance started to come up. And she started to confess, my daughter will live and not die. She will declare the works of the Lord, you know, she, you know and, and this word came up. But notice she had to deal with the fear first. Amen. Fear creates. And listen, I, I was thinking about this story and I was meditating on it. And the Lord said this to me. He said, I would not have been able to operate through my servant, Brother Copeland, for his granddaughter if that had not been done first. Because if fear was permitted to operate, the answer would have never come. Fear keeps you out of your answer, church. Fear keeps you from moving forward. Fear keeps you from receiving of the grace of God. Do not give fear any place in your life. It does not belong there. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But what has he given us? He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? And listen, the fear that seems like it is so strong is so weak compared to the power, the love of God, and the soundness of mind that you have. Amen? Amen. Perfect love casts out fear. Doesn't have time for that. Get out of here, fear. That's, that's what we need to do. Amen? Because it's not just your life that depends on it. It's your children's. If you foster a habit of worry, loss will come. And I'm saying that by the Spirit now. If you don't deal with fear this year, the devil will rob things from you. And the things that God intended for you to walk in, you'll never walk in because that fear will keep you from stepping out. So deal with that fear. Practice peace this year, folks. Amen. We're going to need to practice peace because it's not just um, the glory of God that's going to increase. It's not just the blessing of the Lord that's going to increase. Opposition will increase this year. You are going to face things that you have never faced before because as a church, we have moved into things. But you don't have to be afraid. Just because you feel fear doesn't mean that it's winning. Just because your body is feeling fear doesn't mean that it's winning. Doesn't mean that it's taken over you. You'll remember when Brother Hagen was dealing with that thing, you know, 
in, in his own life and he was, he was spending some time in prayer about it and his body was shaking. And the devil laughed at him and said, look at you, you're shaking, you're so afraid. And out of his spirit came the answer, yes, devil, my body is shaking, but my body is not the real me. My spirit is the real me. And he, there is no fear in my spirit. Listen, there is no fear in your spirit, man. Stand strong, be bold, be courageous. Because the peace of God, the power of God, the life of God is on the inside of you. Do not be afraid. Get rid of fear this year. Don't, be, don't allow fear to rob you of the things that God has for you this year. Amen? Fear is a thief. It's a thief and it's a liar. And it keeps your attention on really yourself instead of the power of God. Well, praise the Lord. Didn't intend to say all that, but it's a help to us, isn't it? Number one, submit to authority. Number two is protect your faith life. And number three, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Oh, well, Brother Taylor, I thought you were going to share with us some monumental things that we never heard before. No, friends. <laughs> this is stuff that you hear all the time, but it works. Walk in the Spirit. That doesn't mean you're floating around like a weirdo and, you know, no. It's odd. Strange. It's bizarre. Okay. Walk in the Spirit. Meaning, live sensitive to the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. What are things that will result if you will walk in the Spirit? Here are three consequences of walking in the Spirit. Okay? Number one, you'll live a righteous, holy life. Right? If we want more to see more of God's holiness in operation, we need to be holy. And so if we walk in the Spirit then we will live a righteous and holy life. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll not as easily yield to temptation. Amen. Oh, well, you don't know, Brother Taylor, I've been dealing with um, pornography, or I deal with uh, addiction to alcohol, or smoking, or something like that. If you'll walk in the Spirit, those things will be things of the past. Amen? Amen. Spend time with the one who is holy, and His holiness will rub off on you. Yeah. Amen? How do I be more holy? Get to know the one who is holy. Yes. Amen? So it will help you to live a righteous, holy life. Number two, it will help you to keep unity amongst the brethren. You know what we need? Unity. You know what we don't need? Backbiting. You know? Arguments. Gossip. Gossip is the enemy of revival. You cannot have revival where gossip is flowing. Pettiness. Okay? Oh, well, he took my parking spot. Oh, well, she's sitting in my seat. And I sit there all the time. Listen, you know what that is? The attitude of somebody who doesn't want revival. You're going to have to lay some things aside, folks. Uh, praise the Lord. Gossip, backbiting, pettiness, all of those things are just manifested carnality. All right? So we need to, if you're walking in the spirit, you're not walking in the flesh. Amen? Keep unity amongst the brethren. And number, and you know, some people will go and they'll say, oh, well, you know, uh, we, we ought to be kind to the poor. We ought to be kind to the people out in the world. And listen, I agree with that. That is absolutely right. But we shouldn't do that at the expense of being kind to our brothers and sisters exactly. in Christ. Yes, sir. You don't treat strangers better than you treat your family. Yes. So don't get religious on me, you know. Amen. Number three. Living accurate, it will help you to live accurately by following the instructions of the Holy Spirit. In other words, living, walking in the Spirit will help you to follow the Holy Spirit. And so we won't make mistakes. Amen? Amen. If you want to have God's best, you have to follow the one who knows what God's best is. Amen? 
Well, how do I walk in the Spirit, Brother Taylor? Well, first of all, develop, an, uh, develop a habit of being in the Word. Amen. Fill yourself with the Word of God. Amen. That is food to your spirit, man. One of the ways you have to walk, in order to walk in the Spirit, you have to make your spirit man strong. And so you need to feed on the Word every day. And I'm not just talking about reading a devotional for 10 minutes and, and you know, thinking that you're so spiritual as a result of that. I'm talking about getting into the Bible for yourself. Have something that you're meditating on. Have something that you're studying and looking at. It's not just ministers that should be studying the Word. Each one of us should be a student of the Word. Studying to show ourselves approved. Amen? Get in the Word. What else? Fellowship with the Father. Pray in tongues. A lot. Amen? This is how we walk in the Spirit. Praying in tongues, if we could say it this way, Brother Higgin taught us this, it puts us on God's channel. You know? Gets us so that we can hear His voice. So pray much in the Holy Ghost. And then, and then also as you go about your day, keep your attention turned toward Him. Praise Him and worship Him when you have a minute. When you're not doing anything. When you're sitting at your desk, you know, working. When you're driving in the car. When you're in the shower, getting ready for work. You know, fellowship with Him. That's how we walk in the Spirit. Amen? Uh, Smith Wigglesworth said this, he said, I don't pray in tongues for more than 30 minutes, but I never go th more than 30 minutes without praying in tongues. Yeah. Yeah. What is he really saying? He's saying, I live my life in fellowship with God. Yeah. And he had great power in, in his ministry, didn't he? Yeah. You want to see great power? Have great fellowship. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Well, praise the Lord. So in Hebron, what are we going to do? Number one, we're going to submit to authority. Yeah. Number two, we are going to protect our faith life. Listen, your faith is precious. It is worthy of you doing what it takes to protect it. And number three, we're going to walk in the Spirit. And if we will do these three things, we will progress into all that Hebron has to offer, and then we will soar into Jerusalem. Amen? Did you receive something today? Isn't God so good to us? I'm so, I'm so glad to be a part of this church. I'm so glad for the faithfulness of our pastors and the obedience because, because of that, we're all moving into something greater. Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Father, your word illuminates for us the things that we're not necessarily skillful in. I'm so grateful, Father, for the correction that's come to me personally this week and the correction that's come to us through this word, Father. When you correct us, it's because you're endeavoring to bring us into more. And Father, we know this, Hebron calls for more. Hebron calls for greater consecration. Hebron calls for greater holiness. Hebron calls for a greater submission. Hebron calls for a greater faithfulness. Father, but we want you to know this, it's a joy for us to be able to do these things, for to come up in these things, because in doing so, we get to spend more time with you and we get, to get, we get to know you on a deeper level. And it's a joy for us, sir. We don't consider it loss to move forward with you. It is only gain. It is only increase. And so, Father, we praise you and we thank you for it.